Good morning, church. Well, I'm a little nervous today. I don't know why. You guys are just friends, right? I shouldn't be nervous, but I am a little bit. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Johnny Anderson. I'm one of the elders here at Country. And so, um, while Dale is um, with the youth group heading to Colorado, um, I'll be speaking today. And me and a few of my friends will be speaking next week. And so, I can't help but wonder, as we begin a two-week series on prayer, there's there ever been a thought in your mind where you're thinking, if God knows everything, then why do I have to ask him for anything? Or, if he already knows everything about everything, and he already knows how's it going to work out, do you believe that God already knows how it's going to work out? Or do you think he gets to that moment and he says, well, I didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> or does he know? I'm asking you. Does he know? He says in his word that he knows exactly what day we're going to die on. So what if on that day that we are appointed to die, that there are other Christians dying, or other Christians praying on that day, that we don't die? Does it ever cause anybody any tension? Because I know it causes me some tension. Or has everybody already resolved this and moved on? Because if you have, then I'm done. Amen. Have a nice weekend. <laughs> Let's think about some of the things that his word says, because they seem to be operating on both sides of the equation. In Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Now, I kind of like that about God personally, that he does whatever he wants to. And whatever he does is good. So you say to yourself, well, I don't like how that all turned out. I don't like what he did. Well, he's a good God, and he does whatever he pleases, so whatever he does must be good. So why do I need to pray? Maybe my prayer should just be, God, do whatever it is you're going to do, because that's what you're going to do anyway. In Jesus' name, amen. Or how about this one? In Job 42.2, Job says it in a different way. Job comes to this conclusion after a bumpy ride. He says, in life, I know that you can do all things, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Now, I love proclaiming that when I know that God is working in my plan, and headwind is coming, and I go, doesn't matter. No plan of God can be thwarted. But I don't like it. When God is using that circumstance to unfold a different plan than the plan that I had planned. But Job came to believe that no purpose or plan of God's could be thwarted. So why are we doing a short series on prayer that touches the heart of God when no plan of God can be thwarted? 
He says it in a different place. Psalm 139.4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. So isn't, a little redund- so isn't it a little redundant to say to God the things he already knows that I'm going to say to him? So why say them? No one else is struggling with this. Just me. So then you take all of these things together and you hear the invitation in Matthew 17, verse 20, and it says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. And it will be moved. Unless, of course, it's not what pleases him. Because he does whatever he pleases. See, that's what I'm thinking right now. Do you, God, want to move that mountain? Because I can say to it, be moved, but do you want to move it? So there's tension in that. He says, you can speak to it and say to it, be moved, and it will throw itself into the river or into the ocean, as some translations have it. So I can't resolve today the tension of a sovereign God who runs the affairs of history and does whatever he wants to do, and a God that invites me to, bold, to pray bold prayers and say to things, be moved, and see them moved. So I kind of want to lead us through this tension today, if that's okay, to a faith that amazes heaven. And why we would pray even if God already knows everything. And I believe he wants us to pray because he's inviting us to believe him for the miraculous and to seek him and to ask him for the impossible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7 or your apps for you tech-savvy people, of which I am not one. But turn to Luke chapter 7 and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to see a story where Jesus is amazed. And that's pretty incredible, I think. So Luke chapter 7, verse 1. And after he had finished saying, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who has built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Kind of interesting there that his friends said that he deserved it. The centurion said he didn't deserve it. So I think God kind of liked the posture of his heart already. His friends said, Jesus, you should do this for him. He's a friend of our nation. He built our synagogue. So you should do him this one thing. 
But when the centurion heard that Jesus was coming, he sent word and said, No, don't come. I don't deserve to have you come into my house. And he had that, he had that humility of heart towards God and towards Jesus. And I believe Jesus liked that. For the centurion said, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does that. So he under, the centurion understands what's going on here. He knew that the Almighty had sent Jesus. He figures this out. He knew that Jesus was under authority and had authority. And I operate, I operate like that. And I know how authority works. You don't even have to come unto my house. In fact, all you need to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was amazed by this. Look how Luke records this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Some versions say amazed. He was amazed at this. And we don't know exactly what that looks like. Did Jesus go, was it the first one of those? Or did Jesus, I wonder. It says he was amazed. And I'm just marveling today that there's this possibility that I could do anything that could amaze Jesus. And then finally, in turning to the crowd that followed him, Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This guy isn't even one of the insiders. He doesn't know all the language. He doesn't know all the prophets. He doesn't know all the laws. He hasn't been brought up the way that we've been brought up, but yet he understands how it works. He knows that there is a throne where there is all authority, he knows that this one, Jesus, has that authority because he is under that authority. Yes, he's God in human flesh, but he is also under the authority and under the orders and under the will and under the plan of the Father who in heaven, who has all authority and has now given Jesus authority. The centurion knows that all Jesus has to do is say a word and something gets dispatched in the, in the spiritual realm, and his servant will be healed. Which brings us to point number one today. Great faith amazes heaven. I want you to know that today. That you can cause heaven to stop and be amazed. And I know some of you are probably thinking... It's amazing in this story because the servant got healed. And there's another story in Capernaum where Jairus' daughter got healed. And there's a, another story where a woman touched the hem of his cloak and she got healed. But when we prayed the bold prayer of faith that we hoped would touch heaven, we didn't get the miracle. 
And so we're left to wonder, was our faith good enough? So that adds some more tension to the equation. And obviously, I can't speak into every situation that's happened to all of us in our lives, but I can say this, that when we pray, my voice is cracking already. Huh. Cool. Obviously, I can't speak into every situation that has happened in all of our lives, but I can say that when we pray bold prayers of faith and pray for the miracle, and a different outcome happens, it doesn't mean that we didn't have enough faith. It just means that God is using the circumstances in a different plan. And this is a shift. This is a shift that Jesus was making while he was healing all these people. Because he knew himself that there would be a moment where he would have to leave this earth. And on that day, his prayer would have to be a different prayer. So turn to John chapter 12, and we'll see a truly heartfelt prayer of Jesus. And it's the prayer that I've been looking at for quite a bit the last couple of weeks. In John chapter 12, starting in the 23rd verse. And Jesus is talking about the timeline of his life. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, that sounds great. Jesus is about to get glory. Truly, truly, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I forgot to turn the page. So there's two plans laid out here. The seed remains by itself, it's good, but it's just one seed. But if the seed were to choose to fall onto the ground, it could be multiplied into many, many seeds. So which one of these plans would you want today if you got to decide? I get to keep my life and hang on to everything that I have. Or I could lose my life. And in that process, that God somehow multiplies my life into many, many more lives than he would if I'd have just kept my life for myself. This is our call as a follower of Jesus. And it's about to specifically be Jesus' call. And this is how he explains it. Back to verse 25. Whoever loses his, or whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So now we're coming down to his prayer. Now my, tr- my soul is troubled. What shall I say then? I'm about to pray. So what am I going to say? Prayer number one, Father, save me from this hour. Or, in verse 28, the second prayer, 
Father, glorify your name. Jesus understands who he is and where he is in the timeline of God. So he says, shall I save myself from this hour? And then he answers himself, no, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So I am going to pray, Father, glorify your name. Jesus could have sent down legions of angels to save him from the cross. And he could have destroyed all his enemies. And that would have been a miracle. And people would have been amazed. But God didn't do that. Because God was working all the madness. He didn't create the madness. But he's working all the madness in a different plan. And Jesus knew that the right prayer and the miracle of the moment was that somehow, in God's choosing, God could get the glory. So he said, glorify your name. So that brings us to point number two. To pray, Father, glorify your name is a prayer that God always answers. So this brings up a question in my mind. Should we pray for miracles? Absolutely. We should absolutely pray for miracles. We should absolutely pray for the impossible. But mostly we should pray for miracles being informed by a desire to advance the gospel in the world. Does that make sense? So in other words, I'm not just simply detached from heaven's mission. Living my life, doing my thing. Of course, I love God. And when I need him to do things that I can't do, I pray for miracles in bold faith. No. What I need to do is get attached to the mission of heaven. As I am attached to the mission of heaven, moving through life, I pray bold prayers But the bold, miraculous prayers I pray, I am praying primarily to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a different kind of praying. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to pray for our loved ones or a meeting that we have at work or a situation that we're in. It just means that we are supposed to be attached to the mission of heaven. Because when we are attached or when we are leaned into the mission of heaven, the mission of heaven is leaned into us. If you want to tap into kingdom power, then tap into the kingdom mission. Jesus said, go into all the nations and preach the gospel, and I will be with you to the end of the age. So if you want to make sure that God is with you, then go and do the things that Jesus told you to go and do. And I believe that there's a correlation there, and I don't know, really know how to quantify it, and I really don't want to try. But I go back to Acts 4. Starting in verse 29, the apostles' prayer, while they were under persecution, said, Consider their threats. Enable your servants to do what? To shrink back? To get out of the situation? No, to preach the word and to preach it boldly. We want to line up with the mission of heaven so that we are ensured that we have the miraculous power of heaven.
And as we do that, we are able to look at every situation, praying for the miraculous all the time. But we do, do so with the motivation that Jesus would be seen, that people would be saved, and the gospel would move forward. I have a friend, Jim, um, my high school friend. He ended up being a missionary to Burma, which is now called Myanmar. And Jim was here one Sunday, and he shared with us his missionary work. Now, Burma is a country that's not very friendly to Christians. And so he was sharing that he heard a story um, in one of the villages that there was a fire. And in the fire, it was attacked one of the huts, and there was a little child that died and the child was a girl and so he shared with how the entire village the elders and and the everyone in the almost everyone in the village got saved and I was like wow how did that happen the entire and he's shared that the entire village and her family were distraught, and they called in the witch doctors to perform some rituals over her to see if they could raise her from the dead. The witch doctors came and did all these ceremonies over the girl, and nothing worked, and after some time, they just gave up and decided that the girl was dead. And the village was about to bury them, her, When one of the villagers spoke up, I heard in the next town that there are people who are proclaiming a name, and that name is Jesus, and I heard that they do some miraculous things. So the elders got together and called for these men, and they they went to the village, and they found the town, and they found these people, and they agreed to come to the village, and they listened to the whole story. And when they got to the village, they didn't go to the family or to the girl, they went to the elders. And they gathered them together and told them who they were and told them the gospel that they believed in and told them who Jesus was and what he had done. And one of them said, we don't know what the will of God in every situation here, but we are here to proclaim the gospel. But we will pray. And if we pray... And call on the name of Jesus, and he answers us. Will you believe in the Son of God? And they all looked at themselves, and they agreed. And they said, we will believe. So they went, and they found the girl, and her family, and the elders were gathered around, and they prayed for the girl, and nothing happened. Some time went by, and one of them said, Dear God, we pray that you be glorified in this village. And he, Jim said that one of the people, one of them put their hand towards the girl one more time, and she sat up. And with that, all the elders put their faith in Jesus, and in time, almost everyone also put their faith in Jesus. And as I pondered that story, And this happened during the formative years of my Christian upbringing. A couple of things have stuck with me even to this day. 
Number one, God can raise the dead. But it's not his normal operating mode. That's why most of the people in this room don't know anyone who was raised from the dead. Most of us don't know anyone who knows someone who was raised from the dead. But God can raise someone from the dead. And he may be doing it somewhere on planet Earth right now. And if he is, I want you to know why he's doing it. He is doing it for the demonstration of his power for the proclamation of the gospel story of Jesus Christ so that people will be saved and villages will be changed and revival will come to the world or to the village or to the world. So as I'm praying for miracles, I'm praying for miracles that are linked into kingdom purposes knowing that God wants people to be saved. But then there's always those who have prayed the bold prayer of faith for loved ones and they didn't get the outcome of the village in Myanmar. What about my bold prayers of faith? And I have called on heaven and I've fasted and I believed and have prayed a bigger prayer as my faith can pray and still nothing. And here's what I want you to know today. is that even then, your prayers for the miraculous shook heaven. I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to see that miracles happened. Many, many miracles happened because of our faith in God. And when they prayed in Acts 4, the place that they were praying in was shaken. And when we pray for the miraculous, I believe things are shaken, most notably heaven. And I believe that when we pray, it moves and touches the heart of God. And I know that sometimes in our perspective, we didn't get the outcome that we were hoping for. But what about this outcome? That our faith touched the very heart of Almighty God. And what kind of miracle is that? I've been very open about my struggles with low self-esteem and how for a while I could barely function. I was always sad, lost connection with my wife and my kids and my co-workers and my church family. I was just plainly a shell living out my life, feeling unloved, undervalued, quite frankly, useless by any measure or of standard that you would want to come up with. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything because I knew my best efforts and myself wouldn't be able to achieve anything. So I fell into a very dark hole, one that I just couldn't get myself out of. There were times when I felt like there was this dark cloud above me suffocating me. And there were times I would cry out to God and cry out to heaven. I know a lot of you have been there. 
Because your prayers get a lot simpler and more desperate the farther you are into the hole. And I wasn't just praying these, I wasn't praying big, grandiose prayers. I was just crying out to God. And one night my prayer was this. God, you didn't heal me yesterday. That's recorded fact. You didn't heal me today. That's recorded fact. None of the counselors that I was talking to, they didn't heal me. That's recorded fact. And based on that, you might not heal me tomorrow. But I want to proclaim from the bottom of this hole that you are a healer. And I'm not sure if I got into the centurion's level or not. But I know that something changed that night and the Holy Spirit helped remind me that my greatest weapon was worship. And I said to God, I just simply want to worship you right now. And then he put on my heart the chorus of this song that goes, Be still my soul, there is a healer. And I believe desperately that when we pray and say, all you have to do is say a word, I know who you are, I know what kind of authority you have, and I know how heaven operates, so I'm just calling on and calling out to you, and I believe that heaven was touched by that prayer. And I believe something happened that night in my situation. And no, I didn't wake up the next day and everything was great. It took a few weeks and a few months of counseling from, from Rick Yarborough and the love and patience of my beautiful wife. For my brain to reorganize itself and for me to come back into some sense of normalcy. The tipping point was that prayer. So I know that even when I pray, a bold prayer, a miraculous faith, a miracle happens. And that miracle is the heart of God is touched and moved. And that prayer doesn't just bounce around the room. It actually ends up in a phenomenal place. And you can see that in Revelation chapter 5. So turn there. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And when he took the scroll, and when he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. It was a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Why, I asked, did it look like 
It had been slain. Anyone? It's not a trick question. I usually have trick questions, but this isn't one of them. Why did the lamb look as if it had been slain? Why did Jesus look as if he'd been slain? Because he had been slain. Because on that one day, his prayer wasn't, I need a miracle, I need you to get me off this cross. The prayer was glorify your name. And then God did a miracle. And because of that, Jesus is in glory. So much so that when he takes the scroll of all, and all the elders fall down and worship him, the living creatures fall down and worship him, and they sang a new song to him at the throne. Why? Because Jesus prayed the prayer that God always answers. Father, glorify your name. Then look at the 24 elders. They all have a harp in one hand and a bowl in the other. The harp symbolizes worship. So worship is at the very throne of God. The worship of the saints is at the throne of God. But there's also a bowl in each hand. And look at that back in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and and golden bowls full of incense. You'd expect that around the throne of God. Which are, if you're reading, the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Bowls full of incense burning around the throne of God eternally. And the fragrance that burns around the throne of God are the faithful prayers of the people who believe that God can do the impossible. Your prayers end up at the throne of heaven. And you're like, I know, but I didn't get what I asked for. God is working miraculously. Well, how do I know that? Because your prayers are still alive at his throne right now. That makes me think of Dania's grandma, Vita Hunt. She was a praying woman. The end of almost every conversation that I ever had with her, I was talking about struggles, about some decision that I needed to make. And she would always say, I'll pray about that. She just loved to pray. And as her time was coming to an end on this side of heaven, and even though she was frail with cancer as it ravaged her body, I still remember a conversation between Roger Kerr and her. And she said, I can't do much, but I can pray. And after she had left us and some time had passed, I couldn't help but be saddened by the fact that I didn't have be to hunt to pray for me anymore. Then a gentle nudge came from the Holy Spirit and tell me, don't you worry. Grandma put enough prayers in that bowl that you are going to be covered for the rest of your life. 
Your grandma put enough prayers in that bowl for the journey. Thank you, Grandma Vita, for filling up your bowl with bold prayers. They are the fragrance at the throne of God. Have you got any in there? Have you got any incense rising up today? Wouldn't it be a tragedy that somehow by the grace of God you make it into heaven and realize that the bowl has none of your prayers? If you don't know what to pray, then pray the prayer that God always answers. Father, glorify your name. But know this. In our last point, and I'll begin to close here. Oh, I'm sorry, that was my opening. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. But know this, our last point, and I'll begin to close with this. The third point. Every prayer of great faith results in a miracle. And that miracle is that it ends up being the incense at the throne of God. So very quickly, five practical things I want to encourage you with today. Number one, don't get stuck trying to resolve the tension. Don't spend so much time trying to figure out if God already knows everything, then why do I have to tell him anything? Don't get stuck in that. Just lean into the mystery and know that he is inviting you and that all you need is an invitation to pray big prayers. So go for it in Jesus' name. Number two, pray prayers that are as big as God. Yes, pray that your sick tomato plant gets well. It's not too small. Nothing too small for God. But make sure you're putting in the bowls prayer, the prayers that are as big as he is. Number three, don't fixate on the way that God is moving. Just trust that he is moving. Number four, make yourself available to pray for things that don't directly involve you. That is how you know you're moving with the kingdom. When you're praying and asking for miracles that pertain to things that don't relate to you, but you know they relate to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to you. So you're like, well, I wouldn't know what to pray half the time. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit on the structure of prayer. So I'm going to tip my hat to that next week because I know I need it. But one of the keys, I believe, is that we need to spend a little less time informing God and the people around us. Dear Lord, I just want to pray for Aunt Kathy. She's having surgery at Lapeer Hospital, 11 o'clock-ish, heavy on the ish. Um have that thing removed from her right arm. Um, you can just skip all that. God already knows that, and he even knows the doctor's name. A few days ago, I saw an ambulance pull into the neighborhood behind where I live, and it's all residential, so I know it was going to somebody's house or apartment. And I was like, oh man, have you ever had that happen to you where the Holy Spirit's nudging you to pray? And I don't know them, it doesn't pertain to me, but I'm going back home. 
Um, but I'm here right now. I'm available to you. I, I'm just simply going to pray. And my prayer wasn't, you know, I just want to pray for this person. You know their name. You know what they're going through. You can save all that. But I know God knows the situation. And he's inviting me to pray prayers of faith. So I prayed the only prayer that I thought to prayer right at that moment. I simply said, God, I just join you because you invited me. And I want to speak over their house in Jesus' name. I just want to speak Jesus over their house in Jesus' name. Amen. I went back in the house. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on, but I I know I'm in that story. And then lastly, number five, link miracle prayers to bold mission. In other words, don't try to use God's mission to try and get him to do what you want him to do. But make sure you're connected to God's mission when you ask him to do what you want him to do. In other words, don't say, Lord, this is my person. And I want you to heal them and do it so that people will be saved. I haven't asked you to save any people this year. But I'm now asking you to save some people because I really want the person that I love to get better. And I really need you to do what I need you to do. We need to start praying more that God will save people. Let's start praying more that the gospel will go forward. Let's start praying more for revival where we are. And then when things come up that we're asking, when things come up that we're asking God to do miracles for, then we can link the two together. And say, I do want you to heal this person I love. I want you to heal them and I know that you are going to do whatever is best in this moment and I'm praying glorify your name but I'm asking you for a miracle right now because you can do a miracle and as you do it I pray that all the doctors will be saved I pray that everybody on the hospital floor will get saved I pray that his co-worker who doesn't know you will come to know you I pray that there will be salvation as you move miraculously through this moment. And I'm not just trying to co-opt a miracle into my story. I want my story linked into your mission. And then as I'm praying into your mission, I'm going to need miracles for people to believe in Jesus. You see the shift in that? I believe that shift moves and touches the heart of Almighty God. Let's pray. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the example of the centurion, how his faith was enough to move heaven. So, Father, I pray this day that the words we've spoken, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we offered 
that you will use in a mighty way to advance your gospel. That people will be saved, lives will be changed, and revival will come. So Father, I pray for each person in each seat here that you would anoint them with your spirit, that you would embolden them to pray prayers as big as you are. Father, I just simply come asking you to accept our worship. And Father, may we always, always pray the prayer that you always answer, which is, Father, glorify your name. So, Father, we bring our worship now and ask that you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.